Hey, Uncle Mike, what's going on? Nice to hear from you. Long time no talk. Mystic Mark, it is good to be here. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is this is my first conversation with the new with phone. The new phone with the new phone. Okay. So can I can can I unpack this a little bit with you? Please, yeah, let's hear it. All right, all right. So, when so whenever you hear someone say something like they have a complex relationship or something is complex. What that means is everything doesn't align, doesn't line up. Like it's like, you know, I feel this way, but I also feel that way. And they're not, and they could be, you know, uh, contradictory or even opposed, I guess, opposing to each other or just not always like in harmony. And so that's what a complex relationship is. So, so I've got a complex relationship with this phone because I have a complex relationship with technology. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the last phone I had, I had for five, it's five years old and, um, I, uh, there's almost like a, an internal badge of honor, like of having it, like, I mean, just like being able to one, like for a variety of reasons. Um, but I also knew that when, um, or I, or I thought often when, um, a couple of years ago, like when I was thinking about my phone, I'm like, well, what happens when this phone got goes? Am I going to be done with, 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 being on the phone. This was pretty, and this was very much in, in the, probably in the time period of the build up to 5g. Okay. And so all that being said, uh, I lose my phone or my phone dies. My phone dies. It's dead. My phone is dead. And, um, so I'm in this position right now that just happened. Like, you know, what do I do? And, um, and because of the, the, the way, my life is at this moment in time, like I needed to have a phone right away for like a couple very, uh, things that are important to me reasons. Like one of them being like, you know, the conversation which we're recording right now. And then also my, my, my conversations with, um, primarily, uh, you know, my, my sons. So I'm like, this is, this is a necessity. This is something which like, you know, I'm definitely going to do. But that being said, I didn't want to have to get new technology and I don't like, like even mostly like the idea of what I thought I was going to, what I was, what I thought I was going to go and, and be connecting or interacting with technology. And so like, there's a little bit of, of, of that unresolved within me, but I don't want to meet it. I don't want to meet this like experience, this new relationship, you know, it's a phone, but it's like how I relate to it. I don't want to meet it with a degree of, um, I want to, I, whatever I'm going to meet with, I'm going to want to be harmonious with the best of my ability. So that's why on the first level that there's like a complexity, like right there, like I know that that's, that's playing in the background of consciousness and reality and all that sort of stuff. So then there's like the, the, a second layer. Well, uh, the second layer is that, um, so I've had that phone for five years and I want to say that the phone, uh, the phone I had before that was probably five years also. And so, um, it was really 10 years worth of, of like stuff on there, like, like, uh, pictures, let's say your contacts and all that sort of stuff. And when it's that phone's not been backed up, I don't know. Like that's just, 
that was not something which I wanted to do because I recognize like, you know, I, you know, when, when this, when this end marks, like if you can make a strong demarcation, like an endpoint, like, like I wanted to have that. And so there's this recognition, which kind of like was, a um, was a, uh, like a, a reverberation. Like what, uh, what I mean by that is it wasn't something that was readily obvious. Like when I was like, Oh, like, you know, my phone's gone, my phone, I don't have a phone anymore, but it was like after a little bit of time of that recognition. And I was like, okay, that's a, that's a really clear end to a particular phase of my life. Like how I related in memory and consciousness and so forth with that last 10 years, like that segment, you know, say why 10 years, maybe in a moment, um, like that's done. That's done. And the reason why I say like, I know it's 10 years, I guess now it's, it may be, um, uh, 11 years is the previous phone, the phone I had before that was a phone, and I think I've told you this story before, that a friend of mine lost in Pocolpa, Peru, when I was down, uh, we were down at, at this this uh, ayahuasca retreat. And so I know that that's when the new phone stuff began. And so that period is like done. And so now there's like this, this looking around, you know, particularly today, because it feels like really the first kind of precursor to autumn, um, you know, I, I meet that with you and what's so ironic, I, mean, I don't know if ironic's the right word, but it, it gives a little bit more, more, a little bit more, uh, zest to the relish is this is my first conversation on this phone. So like I talked about re- relationships and what you bring to the first, you know, this is it. Right on. Well, I know how that feels losing a phone. You know, you, at least my generation, we're kind of like invested in our phones with photos and stuff so yeah it's it's weird to like lose a phone and lose all the photos on it and not be able to carry them over that's why i really liked instagram for a while because it you know it was my memories to the time when i still had a phone with like a physical keyboard on it So, so, um, <laughs> I think it's, I think about this point a lot, what you just brought up. And I think one of the things which is interesting about our conversations is, um, uh, identifying, um, identifying fundamental understandings, uh, you know, what your inner world is based upon generation, let's say, you know, me being in a different generation than you. So, the way I look at like the phone, so I look at, <laughs> I mean, this is part of the complex relationship. Like, you know, I see if we want to go and look at the idea of Satan as the adversary. So let's just go like, 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 uh, like just have no sort of like religiosity tied to like the concept of Satan. But like, think about it as like a, like a, as a, uh, like as it began as a archetypical concept. And so, Satan would be whatever is challenging, right? That's the that's the force that we give the name of of challenge. And so, you know, the the, the phone is Satan. It's a challenge because it's all of this sort of like um, uh, crack cocaine, sort of like dopamine uh, uh, f- overflow within the brain, which like just really 
well, just at the very least, it throws everything off. So that being said, um, as so I want to go and compare what you said to pictures and how I think about the pictures as it relates to the phone and to what you just said about the generation. Uh, if you could go in your mind and realize, like, you know, really well-lived, high-conscious human beings existed at a time where they did not have constant accessibility to um, cameras and then photographs. Begin that from like there's being like before photographs were invented to the variety of of um, ubiquitousness or like how how frequently you find photographs. Like that's like let's say about a hundred and uh, about a hundred uh, nineteen six or eighteen sixty. So that's forty. So a hundred and sixty. About a hundred sixty year time period according to the time frame which they give us. Like that was when cameras first started coming around. So that being said, what I know is I'm like holding a physical representation of an actual event is not an off uh, in physical form is not an authentic expression of how the human being um, relates to the past. Otherwise, we would have been born with cameras and photographs. So I know it's something that's added to it. And I've seen in my first hand, like, just like, like there are pictures. I have one, like when, when I was probably like, when I, when I was, when I was 15 years old, uh, if you were to go and take pictures, like you would only, you'd buy film and it only has so many pictures on it. And then it costs money to have it, uh, 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 developed. And that could take like two weeks. Like imagine that you only get 26 pictures. And then, like, you know, and then, like, deciding what it is, and then, and then like, sending it away, and, like, getting two weeks of, of, of waiting, you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't even remember what any of this stuff is. Like, you know, that was in my lifetime. Like, I could only imagine what it must have been, like, 50 years earlier, like, the frequency or the, or the commonality of pictures. So the point being is, like, like, that's the relationship with the phone. It's like, I, I, I feel when I was describing the phone, I was describing my loss of it, um, from, from, a, from, a, just like what it represents on, t- on the timeline. But I also see like, there's a real power in the purging because, you know, all of these things, which we know, which are, are, are enjoyable, you know, to be able to go and really easily look at, um, a lot of images, um, so quickly and easily like yeah that's that's fun but that's like is that like what does that do to how we relate to memory because think about how people would relate to the past prior to have the constant reminder the ease of access well and you're absolutely right because for me living you know in a world where you know, by the age of 17, 18, I had the ability to take a picture of whatever, whenever I wanted, you know, it's kind of bittersweet to think like there are some memories that I can only access when I look at a picture. So whether that is for worse or for better, I don't know, but it does feel like, you know, it's kind of like an augmented reality in the sense that every time I look at one of those pictures, it might bring back what I think is a memory, but is that memory even organic or is it just a thought that's been attached to a, a photo? And every time I see that photo, it, it changes and becomes a little less clear or a little less closer. It, you know, it becomes further from what it was when I originally 
experience that memory uh, that is attached with that photo, you know, like relationships or, or friendships and, and looking at a picture and being like, oh, yeah, that's where I was in 2015, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it, it's hard for me to pin down months and, and years without having that, like, photo record. Uh, I mean, so I want to begin with what you said, like, you know, uh, that this isn't like a, a good thing or a bad thing. It's a thing. And so it changes trajectory. So that, so that's what I mean by a thing. Right. A thing is like, oh, you know, if there wasn't a thing, the trajectory would have been changed, but that changed the trajectory. And then we go and we look at the trajectory and we're like, well, what are all the qualities associated with this trajectory? Like, you know, like look at it like a road. Well, this road kind of has like these dips and these like wild turns and you're on the edge and it's, it's uh, crumbling down and this road is like straight and orderly and, you know, I mean, and everything in between. So it's like, and then you decide like which road are you going to go and take, um, it, because it's all of those things, which, which, uh, you just described. Um, and the way I, it, it that, that almost feels like more like the texture. And I want to add to that, which might be a little bit more general or a little bit more, uh, form which is um, it's relating to the past. Like it is a, it's literally like, you know, something which is holding, you know, let's go think about like the, the phrase you, uh, uh, you so eloquently like to say of the eternal now. Mm. Right. Right. So how, like, so think about that, like, and, and it's stated when, when you state that, like you're stating it as if it's a thing, like it's, it's something which has like kind of a, you can understand how it may be separate. So what's it separate from? Well, it's from either like living in the past or living in the future, because if you're living in either one of those, you're not living in the now. Like, I mean, it's all like kind of self, self, uh, defining of one another. So if we go and we look at the phone. I mean, this is like, I, we're just stating the most friggin' obvious. Um, but when you, when, when we think about the relationship of the phone, like, you know, that right there is an anchor. It's an anchor to what? It's an anchor to shit that already happened. Well, would it be easier to let go if you were constantly reminding yourself of that? I don't know. I mean, that's like an interesting conversation, but at the very least is this. You're having this experience now through the phone. Like, let's say you even want to have the experience. It's like, you know, it's like the priest class. When they talk about the priest class, when they were first introduced into uh, a grouping of people, a culture that did not have a priest class yet, <laughs> yet being the key word, is like the priest class is always an intermediary between um, the, the, the individual and like the, 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 the God, the collective, the unification of it all. And if you think about that as an, as an idea, let's go back to like Satan, you know, that's what it is, is like it shows a separation or, uh, or at least inserts itself there. Um, and that's another conversation as to like, you know, why that happens. But uh, that archetype also seems to be in this mix. Satan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, uh, the timing of, of this conversation, well, it's not unusual, but it is interesting. Um, what, I'm no what I'm noticing, what I'm noticing, let's say that. 
Well, because interest, interesting is part of like the, the the mental construct of wanting everyone to always be have novelty for the sake of novelty. Hmm. Okay. So we're so so like that. That's just a thing. We're not like you know just recognizing like how that is put into our language. But if we describe it exactly what it is, like that way, we're able to skirt through it without any sort of like uh, deeper level friction. So it's like what I'm noticing right now, or what I'm hearing, what you're saying, or what I'm reflecting back to you, what I'm seeing this in my own life. Okay. Well, then what does right? it mean to fair. be interested? Mm. To be interested is to have your focus hooked on something. Yeah. So I guess I use it as this is focus worthy because I have uh, I've just released a podcast um, about... Oh, goodness gracious. Now I'm losing it. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Um, Satan. Was it Satan? Yeah. yeah. I just released, I just released an episode uh, last week and it was somewhat controversial, but the response from the audience was pretty interesting. A lot of new supporters, uh, but the, the author wrote a book about the satanic aspects of Christ. So that was a kind of uh, an interesting conversation, and it's sort of rang throughout different conversations like this one. All right, so so that's fascinating. So like as soon as as soon as whatever it is is labeled like that, like that thing, right. it's like it's like what you've just done is like imagine like a crowd full of of. Um, a crowd full of just like regular people trying to just like just like friggin get along and not rip each other's hair out because they're all insane but they're trying to act normal like you know just normal life right now and people are doing their best to just like be that way and then this other trickster this other trickster like opens up a door to that room and then throws throws into the center. It's like, you know, it's a 20 foot by 20 foot room, high ceilings, but throws it to the center of it. Like, I don't know, like a, uh, a, 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 like the, the, the old like paper bag filled with dog shit, lit on fire. <laughs> and like, suddenly it's like, it's like, I just threw this into here and there's no way this, this, this situation is going to remain the same. It's going to have this element of dog shit and fire. Oh and so when, you, so when you call something like, Oh yeah, let's talk about the satanic qualities within Jesus Christ. You're basically like anyone who has any degree of identification within like, you know, uh, the, the emotionality of those words, Satan and, and Jesus, like that is just like, that just, that spins it up. So now I'm fascinated. You got my interest. So interest isn't a bad thing. We're, we're describing it accurately. I've lost where I was talking about because I'm more hooked on your conversation. Well, we were talking about the the phone being a sort of satanic thing. I think that's that. But um, and for me, I meant that as adversarial, and mm. adversarial being what separates you from being connected, such as the priest class. Mm. Well, check. You this know, you out. have to go through it. So, okay, so that's what I'm hearing. Like this is this is whatever this is going. I know that it's immensely powerful because of that friction. Like whenever you see friction, it's going to have uh, it's going to have an effect, and some friction is going to be more subtle than others. And this is not a subtle friction. Hmm. Well, 
I'm going to attempt to sum up hundreds of years of history. So <laughs> like do it like in two sentences, like a hundred yeah. years in 10 words, like one year per decade, right? One so, word per decade. So you're familiar with syncretism, of course. So this is the concept is, is that Christ, the character Christ uh, mm-hmm. is based syncretically on the Egyptian deity, uh, Shesmu. Okay. And, Shesmu is known for stomping on the heads of human beings and drinking their blood. Uh, and, you know, the heads are arranged on a vine like grapes. So the, you know... Uh, like Kali? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, and also like wine, like, you know, Jesus and the wine and the bread. Okay, so, okay. And the this author has um, found evidence to suggest that the Old Testament writers wrote the New Testament to enslave and it, and basically curse whoever believed in it, and this was a part of it. Uh, and using this figure, this character, in that role. Okay. So they wrote this book with these sort of backward spells and. Um, you know, so they're deconstructing the 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 biblical Christ. Is that what what they're kind of doing from this perspective, and almost like a very like academic and like, well, look at this and and magical perspective. Yeah, yeah, academic for sure. He considers himself a scholar. He's written several books about uh, this time period and uh, Hebrew and biblical what culture. What was your sense in terms of like not just being the host, but also listening to it? Like, you know, did, were were the ideas were they sound? Where could you poke holes in it? Like, how did you how did you meet what was presented to you? I felt like I had stumbled into like the like six months into an advanced college course and, <laughs> that I had not prepared for at all. I mean, so it was, give me an idea. Give me the idea of like something that would be said, like what or what would be like like kind of over your head, like from what level? Well, I was familiar enough with his books to be able to get it, him running, and once he got running, it was like so many. It was like it was like characters and people and time periods, and there was nothing to grasp onto because there's just so many details coming at me at once. I mean, and the way he talks mm. is very calm very together but very focused and he's very good at kind of like um being extremely concise with what he's saying so yeah it was interesting i i felt like red flags were going off a little bit like uh uh-oh i'm he's about to tell me the holocaust didn't happen or something like that you know (laughs) Like that was, that was my sixth. Oh my God. Oh my God. And, and you know, for this guy, you know, he is a sweet, he's a sweetheart, like really nice guy. He emailed me a bunch of times afterwards, you know, thanking me and, and saying how many people loved our conversation. So he's a nice guy and didn't have any, you know. How old is this guy? Uh, he was probably in his late 50s, 60s early 70s somewhere in that range an older man was he an academic throughout his life like was that his livelihood as well yeah i i don't know his um 
his academic like pedigree, his but, biography. But he like, is, was he a professor? Was he a teacher? Was he a? He made one or, statement. No, I think he's just an author and a researcher. But he made one so statement. A full-time author and researcher. Yeah, he made okay. a statement saying that he works with scholars and and no one's ever um, no one's ever refuted what he's found. Right. So he. <laughs> He sort of has an air of like, he had an air of like, you know, uh, I sensed that he had a defensiveness. And that's when I was like, hmm, I wonder how controversial this can get. So he started talking about uh, the cabal. And I asked him, you know, do you think that all uh, people who believe in the Old Testament and Judaism are part of the cabal? And he said, no. He said, it's just a 1% at the top. So. You know, that's the that's the um, kind of sums it up in one way. But the level of information that he had, so was, I just want to say that that's why I was laughing so hard <laughs> when 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 where you went to like as like the fallback cultural touch point right. being like, you know, is this going to be a Holocaust denier? Um, and then like, but if you listen to what he's saying, like he's talking about where that idea even came in, like, you know, in terms of like the, the double rooted black magic behind stories. Exactly. Oh, it <laughs> so was, go on, so go on. Well, this it, sounds fascinating. And you're right. This does, this fits in really, really interesting with exactly what we're talking about. So please are oh, with the phone in the beginning. So, hmm. so I want to hear where you go with it. Well, I knew it was going to be either, controversially received or well received and and he said you know he said oh no this isn't controversial you know like uh it's never been refuted i've put work out for several years i i shouldn't just speak you know out my ass i should just google search his website and make sure that he's not like an oxford guy or something but um but yeah. Well, well, even better, like you're telling me what you're reflecting, what you and I are doing right now is like, this is what I mean by unpacking. Like, this is what we're like, we're, we're talking through it. We're not necessarily like, uh, 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 unpacking is different than a postmortem. So a postmortem is an unpacking with a, like, let me start poking holes and like, let me see if this makes sense. Uh, because you're like dissecting what just happened. But right now you're just kind of like laying out all the evidence and the evidence always begins with just purely what you remember and what you feel. So it can, so by definition, it's kind of subjective. It should be. So this is where we are right now with this guy. Who I already like, I don't know anything about this guy, but I love how this story is unfolding so perfectly. And, and I just want to say this. I think he uses words in a very, very, like almost in the same way, which I've been talking in this episode in a very, like, um, he means it, it based upon their definition, not how that definition has, have, has drifted over time. And so controversial meaning that, um, like there are two sides. And when you hear it, like, you know, there's an opposing interpretation. He's like, no, this isn't controversial. Like once you hear this, it's the only, it's the only conclusion you can make versus like what controversial means to most people is it's an emotional response. Like did people get like hyped up by it? And so, so like he's speaking from like one different nuance of that word. And, and so like, this is what, what is interesting. What he's doing is he is walking through a, a minefield like, like, it sounds like he's navigating it very, very precisely. Hmm. Well, when you search his name, there's definitely like uh, 
some articles at the top of the list that tell you, oh, this is disinformation and he's a critic of Jews and things like that. So, yeah, I I brought it up mostly because you mentioned Satan, but now I'm starting to relate it in my mind as you're talking to like Hoffman in a way, like not that they're believing the same thing, but like for my show, what I'm talking about and, and like... I, like my podcast about my family thinking I'm crazy. It's not about like, hey, we're going to be right all the time. Every episode, we're only going to talk about the truth. You know, I'm not like putting the information uh, out there because I'm like expecting my audience to not be able to discern for themselves. It's more like, hey, this is what's out there. So I'm kind of excited that I kind of stumbled into that because I didn't realize he had this reputation when I scheduled the interview with him. I just saw he was on Miguel Connor's show talking about some uh, deities in the Old Testament. And then I saw his book about satanic Christ. And I'm like, wow, that's a that's a, a showstopper right there. I mean, look at that title. Sa- satanic Christ, right? <laughs> so I, I had to, I had to like get that. You know. I, I'm just so friggin' crazy. Like, I mean, but I mean, but but it's also such a reflection of where things are right, right. now. It's like, right. like it's like, like it's like, like, and I'm at the heart of Bible Belt, so I'm more. I am, I am, I am more aware of juxtapositions right now because. I'm walking around, uh, uh, so I'm in this place called Gnome Countryside, and people literally come here and they'd be like, well, I think that the gnomes, you're, 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 um, you're telling the, the story of the dark one. The gnomes are, 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 are dark friends of Satan. Oh, my. Like, and, and that's not like like common, but that that is has been said here. This is like you know percentage of the people like 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 they think that way. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the the people think that way, and most people don't because our culture is a way where they don't think that way anymore. So I'm laughing at looking at like at one point I think more people thought like this guy. You know, I'm just like, like not the, not your interviewer, but, um, well, I guess maybe your interviewer is even thinking exactly like with these known people, because they're looking at it and they're calling it like, well, this, this meets all of the qualifications of this definition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just, it's, it's to me to witness that is, is what I think what your show is about and, and hopefully my show as well, which is not so much exactly what you're saying about being right as much as, and you said, it's what is out there because it's what is out there has to, it's going to go in there somewhere else. And it's part of the dance. And when we begin to look at it and see its effect, we begin to understand it. Right. Right. So like that's, and, and this is like, we're, we're dealing with, with like really deep. It's no different than what I kept on referring to as the James Shelby downer vortex. Like it's when you step into that world of like, paradoxical liminal space like different people hear the same thing or see the same thing but they have a different meaning from it and then it creates a different life experience because of what they think it means Mm. like we're discussing that and that is becoming more and more self-evident right now to anyone who is slightly paying attention 
I think that and this dude, and so this one last thing is that dude who you just brought in, and I think just like Michael Hoffman, and you know maybe even myself is like we are individuals who are articulating what it looks like to make that walk. Like, hey, I know what the words I'm saying mean. And in fact, that's probably what the quote unquote, uh, you know, the whole thing about like being able to understand the elite or even legalese is like, you understand what they mean. Listen to how a Rasta speaks and listen to how they understand. They've never said they say the same. Well, I guess it depends. It's either overstand or understand. Um, but, but it has a significant, there's a difference in its connotation. And it's like, that's where we are right now as we collectively are becoming like what, what we're describing right now was a much, much smaller percentage of the population could see it. And before that, an even smaller part could see it. But there's this broadening part of it happening through this art form of podcasting, of people being able to see what is actually happening before them. And then as that is also happening, the next step is is laying itself naturally and what that next step is. Well, okay, well, how do we work our way through this mess? And part of that is like, okay, well, now I'm going to begin to speak with much more clarity in my words. And when I'm listening to someone else speak, I'm going to at least for what ask for their definition of what the fuck did you just mean by that? Because I'm not going to make any assumptions. Mm. Well, and, and I failed to do that. I think I just went along for the ride because at a certain point in the like throes of his conversation and what he was explaining i'm just like i had to tap out from asking detailed questions and just let him say what he had to say and i also well, he had to, he had to he had to that's your role as the host right well like and, your role as as something else would like you know and maybe that's what you and i are doing right now but like the the amazing service which i think all of the the a host of your style does is they provide a platform and usually there's some steps which which a person has to climb in order to get on any platform. But when they get on that platform, it's like they they okay, let's hear what you got to say. I'm right. agreeing with it. I'm not I'm not challenging you. I'm giving you the space to say what you have to say. I'm gonna like you know. And so there's a time and a place for that. So I think like you know, of course that's how you have to handle it. And to do that well, you kind of do exactly what you're saying. Like you know, I just tap out and I just hear where they go. Right. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's definitely relative to what we were talking about on the phone. Uh, I don't think we recorded that last time we spoke. We didn't. Um, but yeah, it was definitely one of those conversations where, you know, I just let him take it where he was going to take it because the, the, the names, the places, the time periods were, you know, shifting so quickly that I, I just couldn't keep up. And and then I spent about 30 minutes in the outro, uh, you know, sort of trying to explain to people why they shouldn't be offended and how they could keep an open mind, even if they they disagree, which maybe wasn't necessary. But, yeah, I think moving forward, I'm just going to keep having controversial subjects and people on the show when they uh, present themselves. He, and I, my guess would be this is my prediction for you, Mark. And so this is all a prediction is like anyone who makes predictions and like uh, is, is right more than 50%, like 51% makes you a good predictor. Right. Um, so uh, it's because you're paying attention to, to, to a trajectory. Um, 
you know, that's what most project, uh, predictors do. They just look at like all the things in front of them. Like, oh yeah, the logical conclusion will be blah, blah, blah. So my, so the prediction for you is that this, this position that you find yourself in as a, uh, like almost like a, um, so we'll use the tarot, uh, we'll use tarot symbology to understand it, the fool. So the fool has two implications. It, it refers once to like, you know, like real naivete, like someone with no experience or any sort of self-awareness. And then it also refers to like that, that, uh, that enlightened Buddhist, uh, uh, Eastern mystic sort of, uh, concept of, of beginner's mind of just like such true authentic beginner's mind that like, you know, they see like a bubble blown from a bubble machine, a 45 year old man would be in, in, in like authentic fits of laughter because it just like warmed his soul so much. Like if that's the fool as well. So it's like, you know, that's a naivete, but it's a, it's an earned naivete alert. So I would say like, that's part of your journey in this space is like, you're like, I'm just fine to myself. You know, I found myself in this classroom with six months into a college level course because I didn't know what I was getting into. Like that's that naivete. But then like, you're like seeing like, okay, now I see, now I see kind of what's going on. And, um, I made this, I made this point, uh, a little while ago about uh, collectively we're getting to this point where like the second step or the third step is, is showing itself naturally because we have, um, you know, we've already started this kind of like self-awareness. That's what all conspiracy stuff is. It's like, now I'm looking closer at the shit you told me not to look at. And maybe I'm interpreting in it or maybe, but that's what it is. It's right. like, like the previous generations, they were just like, ah, nothing to see here, folks. And now they're like, whoa. And that's like the, if you get into like archetypical of what conspiracy is, that would be an archetypical nugget. So it comes from that. We all kind of come from that. And so, so this is it. So if you, if you're listening to this show, if you, if this touches you anyway, it's because you are in a frequency that what you and I are discussing is like kind of like individualized experiences, like the Mike story and the Mark story. Um, like, and, and this awareness, like, Oh, look how it's for, this new, this new experience is forming around me naturally. If you're listening to this, it's because you have that same level of self-awareness where you can see it. And that is happening where you are right now as well. Like this is part of what's happening right now is like everything is swirling around us for where that next expression is taking us because it's all like it's shifting and moving and it's a consciousness dance. That's where it begins. And we're talking about awareness, which is a consciousness tool. And the phone is constantly training our or in training our awareness away from arguably a better reality right i mean to get things back to where we were talking about earlier like you're talking to us on a new phone and it does sound a lot better there are brief moments where it gets windy i guess or you start moving uh but for the most part i think people are really gonna appreciate the podcast all right all right um what, what, what was the first the first thing you said uh well, i, I noticed I... your instagram post about this uh 
Trapper Keeper fella and how the day your phone died, I guess he passed away, rest in peace, uh, the inventor or designer of the Trapper Keeper. And it's interesting, like, I guess in a rudimentary way, a Trapper Keeper is a precursor to what we use our phones for now. I mean... I mean, one hundred percent. So okay, let's. All right, I mean, you just you just threw me the biggest friggin' bone. So it's like, so I got my mind like. So I'm listening to you, but I still like I have to have like a mental placeholder. It's like I was going somewhere at the store. I was really excited. Like I kind of have like that that bulldog that that like I know where I'm going. I'm listening to you, Mark, but the suit. But I'm gonna go and bring it back there. Like that's how I'm good at like at, at bringing things back. And so like that's how it, what happens inside my mental sphere as we have this conversation. But what you just did with Trapper Keeper is you threw like the you know using the using the dog metaphor like this this piece of raw, like amazing bone and raw meat whatever like I would want on my dog level like that's all I can see and I'm like I gotta go all over Trapper Keeper because that thing is huge let's so hear Trapper it. Keeper let's so hear do you know what the Trapper do you know the Trapper Keeper is I've had versions of it, but I never owned one myself. I, I mean, I've seen like cheaper versions of it. I had one with a zipper that I put all my weed gear in when I first started smoking. So years like 1984. All right. <laughs> okay. So you, you have no idea what that means, but I'm going to say two words. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Now, now I get it. Are you ready? Ready. Stranger things. <laughs> Okay, so it's Stranger Things. You're in Stranger Things. So what character? What character in Stranger Things would you say you most like? Kind of give me like one or two that you resonate with. You're like, you know, I see part of myself in them. Um, did you? Is this an assignment that I wasn't prepared for? No, just like right now. Just right now. Right? No, not at all. This is spontaneous. So okay, this is what I'll say then for you. You got a little bit of Dustin in you with the hair. All right. Okay. That's is the most beloved. So, okay. So you're going to middle school and you got like a regular friggin' binder and then bam, the trapper keeper hits. And it is like this plastic thing with Velcro and you open it up and it's got a three ring binder, but then folders go into it. And so the folders go into the three ring binder. And instead of like, like the, if you could think about a folder, it's a rectangle and you open it up and then it, uh, like the, the bottom or the horizontal is where the part of the folder that holds the paper trapper keeper changed the friggin' game. And they did it on the vertical going up the other side. So you got these two slits. And so it's like everything, it's like, it's as rebellious as rebellious gets for your seventh grade mindset. But the, so the problem with it is it sucks. It like really didn't work. Like, like the, that is a way to keep your, 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 your papers in order. Like it just didn't work, but it was like a cool idea, but it caught on. So like, so that was Trapper Keeper and that was the time period. So, okay. So what is Trapper Keeper? Trapper Keeper was a byproduct. Who was the dude who died? He was like a high level exec for Mead Corporation, M-E-A-D, the makers of all the college ruled and wide ruled paper mm -hmm. and all of the school supplies. Like not only are they um, intricate in the system of, of institutionalized indoctrination, but they profited uh, uh, spectacularly from it. Like not, they're like, I'm making you pay for your own imprisonment mm. by buying my school supplies. So like, 
Yep. That, that's the nature of the company and the industry. And that was a game changer. So it's like, and then for me personally, like the, the joke of that for me personally, my inside joke is like, you know, that hit me at that level, that like stranger things age. I was like 13 and 84, like stranger things is me. Like, you know, that kid who went into the underworld, like, I, I think I probably resonate with all of those characters or like most of them I resonate with. And the ones that I did, and I was like, that person was like my best friend or my first girlfriend, like that sort of like, you know, like that's how deep that archetypical energy goes, like how well they do it. Um, but so, so trapper keeper, we got all that. Um, but here's the thing, trap, keep, right? Net, yeah. web. So what are those? That same sort of thing, trap, keep, net, web. Like, you know, that's this like two words that are kind of interchangeable, which both kind of have like uh, the surface level meaning is one thing. But if you just take a moment to think of what's actually being said, you're like, whoa, not only do I not like it, but it's consistent in both of these. Mm, right. Right. <laughs> so yeah that's the friggin' phone so I want to go back to what you said in the phone though I want to go back before we hit this before it forgets so what, what I, how we navigate the phone or, or I think a, a, a sensible approach of navigating the technology and phone relationship is like you know we don't jump into like the good or the bad or anything like that we, we jump into like what does it do well this has this effect and then we ask ourselves well, do I like that? Like, then you ask yourself, is this something that serves me? How does it serve me? Why do I like it? And then you know the answer for yourself. Okay. Um, but I mean, ultimately what I think will come down to like all of the phone use is going to be like, no, I, you know, the, the sum of like, this doesn't serve me is, um, is, is greater than like, you know, whatever benefit I get from it. Right. And so like the obvious solution, but, but you can't force that upon anyone. Like, you know, you gotta make, you gotta figure that one out for yourself. And I mean that like in every metaphorical way upon it, but that's the way how I see, I see the phone. And if you take like the, the higher minded story of consciousness, that's what the adversary is. The adversary is to know, like, you don't just like do, you do the right thing because it, it is beneficial to the, to the system or the realm in which you are in. Right. Well, it's funny how biased I've become <laughs> towards my phone now that I rely on it my freedom that I appreciate, you know, with this job that I have now compared to the lack of freedom I had uh, then. Uh, but then it, when I was a delivery guy, I had really, you know, I, don't, I, I can't even say for sure, but I, I definitely wasn't on my phone as much as I am now just because I was driving so much, but I was still using, I was listening to podcasts, but you know, um, you were so, so, so to me, so this is how we, this is how, what I mean by navigate, like navigate is to go with or, 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 or at least the postmortem in order to navigate, we're going to go and like, look at what you just described, define words and say like, okay, what's going on here. So, um, we could go and look at like the priest class, if you will, anything that has to be an intermediary, uh, for you to get something which you normally would not have to go, um, uh, need to go through. And some, some, and that's what media means. Media is the middle. 
and that is neither a good thing or a bad thing. It's a thing. And then you got to go and like look at the media and they'd be like, at least I know how this, this thing operates. Um, when you were describing the phone driving, so first there's a recognition, I'm still using it. Like, you know, there could be, there's a time in life. Like the question is like, is life do the question? Number one is, is, is this needed in order to live on the physical plane? And then like, if the answer is no, you go and you kind of see like where it exists. And then you see like what the, what is the price in order to go through this sort of thing, uh, which we're using. So you got the phone, it's not necessary, but your level of into of, of interaction with it was a whole lot. Um, you weren't as deeply connected, like the more connected both ways going, you were mostly like just receiving and you weren't like creating through it or anything along those lines. As soon as you start to get into that creative mode, like, uh, it gets, it becomes, uh, you become more integrated with it, neither good nor bad. It's a, it's a description of what integration is. It's going to and fro. It's not one way. It's two way. And the more two way, the more flow you have with whatever it is, the more you're integrated with. And then you ask yourself the question is like, the question being, is this what I want to be integrated with? Right. And then, so that's not, that's not necessarily like good or bad as much as like, it's a real question. This is like, this is like preference. This is where your preference may matter. Yeah. Well, and I guess bias is the wrong word, but I just felt like before this podcast was even a concept in my mind or I didn't realize it was feasible, you know, I could take or leave my phone. It was kind of like, uh, you know, like, oh, I know this thing is, is holding me back. And, and if I had my life set up differently, I could go without it. But now I've kind of built up my freedom that I enjoy around using it as a tool for that. So it's like inverted, you know, some people they're, they're, their job keeps them entrained and then they get double entrained by their phone. Me, I'm kind of like my job is freeing me to some extent, but my phone is still pulling me into the matrix, you know, like I can't just go live out in, uh, just anywhere cause I'm dependent on cell service. So, um, uh, a couple things. If you recall, we began this conversation with the description I've got a complex relationship, meaning like I've got a whole lot of different feelings about it and they don't all line up. What you just described is a complex relationship. Right. Right. And so that, so that's just a, a recognition. So when you see, a, when you see the complex relationships, like then you go and you, you know, there's certain, there's a lot of ways you can describe like the, the way complex relationships work and what they provide. And then you go and you decide like, do, is it worth any of this? And the stuff like everything comes with a price, everything comes with a price. And then you decide like, you know, is it worth the price? And then that way you get out of this kind of like, uh, the, the good, bad sort of, uh, nebulous sort of way. And when you do this, you know, where you stand doesn't mean you, you don't change your mind in the future. It just says like, I understand where I stand. Um, and then, so we go and we look at, we go and we look at the, the, the sort of things that you just said about like the phone and the, the relationship, like at one hand it provides freedom and the other hand it, it um, you know, you feel, I wouldn't, I mean, if you're adding more and more to it, then yes, it's pulling you deeper into the matrix, but at the very least it's keeping you um, connected. It's keeping you connected to it. It's not, it's not necessarily 
going away or maybe it's changing, but that's exactly where I'm finding myself with this phone. Like I'm looking at this phone and I'm like, what, what exactly am I committing to? At the very least, I'm committing to this conversation. Um, how's the wind? It just started blowing around here. Yeah, we hear it. We hear it, but that's all right. It's, it's very, uh, it's in and out. Let's see if I can go and find a, a better spot. It's really beautiful out, to be quite honest. So I'm definitely not going to go inside. But, but that's, uh, you know, that's that's kind of this where I'm seeing this, all of this this where we're finding ourselves right now. And I would say it's just as fair as looking at what's showing up in your life with as as being an inter, a, a podcast host. Like if you're going to be a podcast host, and where we are right now, like. There's, there's, there's a real benefit to a lot of people in the work that you do. Yeah. Like shout out. Was, I was going to say shout out to our friend in uh, the UK who just signed up for the Patreon, $25, 25 quid a month. He said, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And so, uh, that's kind of like, you know, you, you're, you're very indicative of there's a way which you, at least within your fantasy mind, like, you know, God, I'd like to kind of not have a phone and just be like relating, not, uh, not at least depending through technology. And I could be in a place where there, there's no technology for a period of time and it won't be a big deal. Like there's a part of you that would like to go and, and put your, your full energy and attention into like living like that. And then there's another part, which is like, but you recognize that you've got a role in this particular part of the realm. Mm. You know, I'm recognizing that within myself. Uh, I was just, um, before we had this conversation, I'm, I'm working on the details of some of um, the edits of the engagement book and the stuff I want to write into it. And it's like, you know, there's a part of me that doesn't want to do this at all. There's a part of me that's like, I don't want to do this. Um, but then there's a part of me that recognized, like, you know, even if this does that one small percent change in one person or, you know, that one percent in each person, like that, the impact each of these people will then have within their, that one percent in each of, uh, all of the relationships in their lives, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's kind of the price, which I think we are paying right now, me and you and probably everyone else, like we're, recognizing where we are and figuring out what we're going to do. Yeah. So what are you going to do, Mike? I mean, you got big plans for tomorrow. Is that still going on? Uh, tomorrow. So, um, yeah. So tomorrow, uh, we've got, um, we've got Ross, Ben and the Pittsburgh crew crew are going to be, um, are going to be coming to Gnome Country Shop. Right on. And, uh, I'm pretty certain we're going to be recording, but I'm not really certain what's going to happen. Okay. Um, so this just kind of came about, uh, like maybe two or three days ago. Yeah. So, but, but I'm excited to see, I'm seeing every time we have all gotten together, um, it has been a, uh, it has been a, a touch point in my own trajectory. Like what? things changed or happened immediately afterwards. 
Remember what you were uh, suggesting on the phone, like uh, if I could go down and mediate or moderate? Uh, I don't think tomorrow is going to be that. Oh, well, do, would you be able to? No. I mean, I was just throwing that out as like, you know, uh, it came out like uh, I was just I was just testing the waters to see who would want to come down and talk. There are going to be uh, a handful of people who are going to be coming and probably watching us before. But I don't know what it's going to be about and how it's going to happen. It's going to be very spontaneous. Okay. So that question I posed to you, I was like, all right, well, this is spontaneous. You said this is very sudden. Yeah, this is very <laughs> sudden. And I was just seeing how you're responding to it. Well, I I certainly would love to be there. I can't physically make it, but I was su- going to suggest, I don't know how feasible this is, but if it is, um, maybe you guys do a live stream somehow with the recording and I could take questions from the people who are watching live and, you know, share them with you somehow, whether it's over uh, the call or I could moderate the chat or bring people into the Zoom meeting themselves and you could, you know, turn the volume up and they can ask questions one at a time. But, um, but yeah, just a thought. I don't know if you were planning on live streaming uh, onto Susquehanna Alchemy, but, uh, but we could do that if you need uh, any tips. Would, on, that be a, would that be a difficult thing to do? No, it's, it's pretty easy considering uh, like, I think you might have all the resources available to you to live stream. All you need is a computer and a signal, Wi-Fi signal, or better yet, plugged in to the Ethernet. But, um, but yeah, it's pretty easy. Because I, I know people would love to see another from the 40th episode, and I think this is probably going to end up there anyway, so why don't you guys live stream it? Does Ross ever do live streams? Probably. Okay. All right. Well, just a suggestion. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm glad to hear you're recording it. But yeah, if it's going to be a regular thing, I'd like to make it to the next one. Yeah. So, All right. As long as I could know further out, but did I did I interrupt with the tangent? Was there something? That you had uh, you, I, all of that's now gone, Mark. Because now, <laughs> <laughs> now you got my head spinning. You got my head spinning on that. So, um, where were we? Where were we? Where were we before that? Well, you're talking. Oh, about I, know I, wanted, I know what I want. I know what I know what I want. Where I want to go. With. Um, so I was mentioning. Uh, I'll go back like a couple different layers. So. Uh, I've been I've been working on this engagement. Process. I've been really, really thoughtful in terms of how I how and what the information be presented in this format to be. So I I uh, um, I was working on the slides. Um, find them. Uh, Slides of um, talking about real time and and um, false time, and so and let me go into these slides. Right, so real time supports all life 
because it is a reflection of life itself. False time supports a culture and the life that exists within that culture. Hmm. And that distinction, and I go and I give all these definitions of like what a real-time day looks like, a real-time week looks like, a real-time month or a real-time year versus a false time um, month in real. Uh, month in, month in, uh, and so the reason I'm bringing this up right now is coming back to, you know, we're, we're kind of discussing about this relationship, this complex relationship with complex relationship with um, technology and um, and what really makes sense to me is is coming to understand like you know what what are all of the different boundaries what are what are what is this relationship with, with technology going to look like because I don't think it's going to be um, like an all or none. It's not going to be for me recognizing what I need to do, you recognizing what you need to do, and then being able to um, make the decisions based upon what the price will be. Hmm. Sounds so interesting. That's what I was working on today, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see this. How big is it going to be? Like a uh, regular like notebook size? The size of my other one. So I'm, uh, if you're familiar with notebooks, it's known as a D5 size. Okay. I'm not certain what that is. So that's um, that's uh, probably 8 by 11. Not quite 8, maybe 7 by 11, 7 by 10. It's a little bit smaller than regular paper, regular mead paper. So then the next line is to be free and sovereign in consciousness. One must know real time and how it's and how it is different from false time. Because the whole idea is the whole idea is that you know we have to part of what we're moving away from is and and what the tendency had been and was is is um, is is just grabbing onto a um, is grabbing onto a uh, 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 a story, a solution, a movement, something just because there is a um, there's there's a, a void, and so now what we're doing is we're all waking up to what reality is after the past three years. After like there seems to be some degree of um, of you know if you want to call it a stability. Um, how you go about it is you look at things and understand them as they are, as opposed to jumping to any sort of um, reactionary direction. And this is how like it's, it shows itself and solves itself um, uh, in a very self-evident way. Hmm. I think I need one of those. <laughs> So uh, uh, <laughs> I'm really excited by how it's coming together. Um, it is, uh, and I'm working with this guy, uh, Jordan Levine, who's a graphic designer down in Baltimore. He's one of these guys who came by the house in Baltimore 
and he was making his own notebooks. I mean, this was all of the stuff, this and the starboards are, they're, they're all a result of these past seven months. That's how I, I kind of can say with, within myself, a high degree of confidence of recognizing, um, like the timeliness and how this all fits in. Um, so this guy, Jordan, I never met him before. He, he had heard some of the, the Susquehanna alchemy stuff, I guess. And like he, he, like, seen some videos he's like hey i live in baltimore so from that he and i you know i kind of come up with concepts which are just the notebooks i've always used um and turning it into a template uh and the template is is really as it's meant to be a tool like yes you're going to use it for purpose but then its bigger purpose is greater than that which is um which is the process of disentangling um, consciousness from another timeline, mm. a timeline that you're connected to, uh, that you don't have no idea that you're connected to because you assume it to be real. And that being like, you know, days of the week. And so, uh, can I give you an example of like my definitions? I'll tell you either, uh, what should we do? Day, week, month, or year. Let me define for you. Okay. So you pick one. <laughs> week. All right. So week. So this is so so real time, natural time. It's observable, objective, and knowable. Okay, that's how you know that it's real time. It's provided by our life experience itself. All right. So the real time definition of week. The closest thing to an observable week is a lunar phase. There are four identifiable, distinct, and observable phases in a lunar cycle. The number, the number of days is inconsistent and varies between six and eight. Like that's the closest thing we have. So I'm going to give you now the definition of the false time, cultural time, arbitrary, abstract, and self-referencing definition of week. All right. Seven as a recurring day count is arbitrary and self uh, is arbitrary and self-referencing. The seven-day week began as an Old Testament concept and corresponds to the seven observable heavenly bodies, sun, the sun through Saturn. Additionally, the seven-day week with five days of work and two days at west of rest is the basis of the institutional of the industrial revolution and standardization in, in educational forms of mass control. Hmm. Makes sense. So when you begin to go and, and so this, so this is an example, this one, and I, this is what this, the, 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 the book is, is really defining out like, you know, these definitions and thinking about it. Like, and it's, again, it's like, a, it's, it's, it's an engagement book. Um, it is to really begin to understand assumptions, particularly about the unfoldment of life, which we've been told is time. And so when we have all been so conditioned to deeply have um, the culture define how we see the future. Uh, we're always like whatever 
whatever we are creating in our lives is within the confines of their culture because we're already seeing the future in the lens of that culture. But when we begin to see the assumptions, we begin to just see uh, how it's separate and like where it came from and you're honest. And you're like, okay, I see all this. Then that level, that level of awareness, which is the basis of how you envision life, of your life, um, it begins to become free or disentangled from the system that it was always intertwined with. Right. It's the only way you can move out of it. Hmm. Hmm. Redefining it. Say that again, I didn't hear that. By redefining the way you, you know, qualify the the space you're moving through, the time you're moving through. Well, yes and no. So it's not just redefining it for the sake of redefining. It's redefining it based upon something that you can see, which is outside of anyone's control, and you can identify that there's something there. Hmm. That's why it's observable and knowable and understandable. Right. If you were to, if you were to study it, you'd be like, okay, that makes sense to me. Um, so much of how we have been conditioned and rewarded for a very long time has been to not question anything. And so when you do that, and, and you could say, well, it may, it serves a purpose. Absolutely. Like there's a, like, we're not saying good or bad. We're saying recognize, recognize the nature of how it works. And then you decide what you want to do. But if you are not doing that, then you are not doing any sort of conscious decision-making. You are, you are agreeing out of ignorance. And so this is how you learn not to you begin to go and deconstruct at the lower levels. And the lowest level of culture is how a culture envisions time and space. Seven day weeks, like however long there's been culture, I'm just, uh, and I'll just use this, like, you know, anything which is based upon uh, the Abrahamic uh, religions, you know, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and, and, and Islam, like they all, they all recognize the Old Testament. It begins, you know, you know, the world was created in seven days. That's where that comes from. Right. And so you are in that world, regardless of how you feel about it or not. And so this isn't, if you want to stay in that world, keep on following that. Um, or at least, or at least don't even question it. But if you want to begin to go and look for sovereignty in consciousness, you have to move outside of that. And that doesn't mean you don't have to use it, but at least you recognize the difference between the two. And then you're able to navigate it just as the guy who came on and did uh, satanic Christianity. He was able to talk about, you said it, it was like, this guy is not a, he's not a, uh, um, he is not a necessarily, at least on the surface of personality or presentation, he does not appear to be, you know, uh, uh, fueled by attention and, and, and controversy thrusted upon him. I say that because you said that he was soft-spoken and he spoke with a very, very high degree um, and control of tone and, and precision of language. 
Mm-hmm. The guy is the guy is present. He wants to be able to to get what he has to say across, and he has no 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 concern about any misinterpretation because he understands the subject matter uh, and understands its logic so so clearly. Um, that guy's able to go and make that navigation because he's able to recognize with his language what things mean and what what is being implied. To the person who's only experiencing through consciousness based upon like not really understanding or really bringing the awareness to ask like, what am I assuming? Well, then they're being swept up and, uh, and taken away. Like we've all been conditioned to be that way. Like that's part of the, it's part of like what this whole process, which has been going around, going along for as long as people have been going along with this sort of stuff. Um, a true act of, 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 of the revolutionary, not someone who's just trying to revolve the system, but to move off of the system entirely, that being all the way back to like the Babylonian sort of way. Uh, well, you got to go and start like questioning at deep, deep levels and deep, deep levels are personal. So it makes them like kind of a pain, but they're not, it's not a difficult thing to do. So month, day, Similar explanations, or is there more when we look at right. the, the month or the day? All right. So, so go to debt. So, um, where that go? Hold on a sec. Yeah, pull that up. So, the day is defined. The um, real time definition is a sunrise to sunrise or sun, sun, sunset to sunset event. No clock nor mechanical devices needed to understand when the disk of the sun breaks the horizon. Now that versus the false time, cultural time definition, midnight to midnight. Midnight only exists with a clock. There is no observable way to identify when midnight occurs. It only exists in your imagination. Like just think about that those two definitions of like how you define what a day is, you know, this what we're calling the twenty four hour period. You know, it's all like theoretically like a circle, whether it's sunrise to sunrise or sunset to sunset. And like I understand the logic of midnight, but midnight doesn't exist. You know, it exists in order to like change the calendar, which also doesn't exist. Mm. Like what does exist is like there's a sunrise. Right. Like if you said like I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna wake up at seven a.m. You'd be like, well, I don't need to know what the fuck that means. If you need to give me a point of reference, I'm gonna wake up when that huge fucking ball of fire, <laughs> you know, so they say, comes over that line right there. The sky goes from dark to light. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's no misunderstanding. Right. And so that doesn't mean don't use clock. It just means begin to recognize the difference. So when you begin to recognize the difference, it's not like you have an aha moment. You're developing a muscle. You're developing a muscle. And what muscle is that? That I'm recognizing what the culture is trying to put in my head and what is actually real. All right, I'll give you, uh, uh, we'll do the month, as I like the month. Month, here's the real term. The word month is an obvious play upon moon. Lunar cycles are inconsistent, ranging from 28 to 30 days, 
but the phases are easily identifiable in our physical realm. No, easily identifiable. In our physical realm, most things begin hidden. New life hides in the mother's womb. Uh, a new plant begins buried within the soil. So measuring time cycles from new moon to new moon, as opposed to the full moon to full moon, makes sense, or there's a logic to it. So now we'll go and we'll look at the false time, cultural time. Any calendar system, Gregorian, 13 moon, et cetera, that uses months, but the first of the month does not coincide with the new moon, it is out of alignment with real time and observable reality. The Gregorian calendar's use of contradictory month names, Sep means seven, Ox means eight, Death means ten, further confuses the minds of the masses in subtle and subliminal ways. Hmm. Absolutely. So, so when we put it down in writing, like, and you put it in this book, it's almost, and then I have all of these, uh, uh, these, uh, these different, um, these different images showing the cycles, and you see them written in my, in my. Uh, um, I've seen them written in, in my own personal calendar. I think you've uh, seen me carry that before. Um, but I've just, I've put them as the, the teaching tool, I guess, if you will, as a visual aid in the, uh, um, in the beginning of the book. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to go and see if I can send you one. Let's require a little bit of. Well, on the point of the month, I um, I have a calendar that goes by the uh, astrological sign rather than like the first day of the month. So it starts off, for example, this time period is August twenty third to September twenty second on my calendar. August. Ah, August twenty third. So Virgo season. So it is interesting because I have it next to my other calendar, which is regular, but it also tells you the signs. And uh, yeah, I find so myself a, so looking at this one on the left more often. At the very least, this is what's happening. You are regrouping your understanding of how time is, um, is captured. Right. So when you're seeing it grouped up into tropical astrological signs, you know, you're seeing it grouped up on, on tropical astrological signs. Um, when it's an unnamed moon. So, and this is where it gets really interesting. So this is like, this is neither good nor bad as much as it is, is recognizing they have different qualities and which one serves you better. So you can go and have a recurring theme and that adds a level of consistency. But then when you do that, that consistency comes with a price and that comes with authenticity because that's not exactly what we see in the in the material world hmm. because it's always changing. But because it's always changing, well, well, how can I consistently plan for the future? Well, you know, that those are the questions you need to go and ask. If you're an individual who genuinely lives in the, um, in the uh, 
consistent eternal now, well, you probably would do fine just by, by dealing with the moon as it comes. Right. But if you're someone who's dealing within another system, well, then you probably at least need to know how to interact with that system. Mm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's been, it's been a lot more difficult to keep up with the moon where we live now uh, than it was when we lived somewhere with our own backyard and a place to sit outside. But yeah, you, so that's a fascinating observation. It's a very true one. So like, uh, a human being who did not live in a high density sort of area, an urban suburban environment would probably have absolutely should not in theory have problems seeing the moon. Right. And in fact, you can even say that the moon, whatever the moon may be, because if the moon is like an Archon satellite, and it could be, I don't know. But if it is, it's like, you know, friggin' well played. But whatever it is, um, the moon is the one thing that every eye, every eye of a human being, assuming you can see and you can see the moon, um, has been placed upon Possibly you could say the sun, but think about how long people look at the sun. And then the stars, probably not. There's so many if everyone sees the same star. But I guarantee every human being has looked at the moon. Hmm. There's nothing else that you can say that about. The sun you can say, yes, they've all seen. But the moon is something you've enjoyed looking at. Right. Or you, like it doesn't hurt your eyes, potentially. No, yeah, I mean... We were even told that the moonlight is potentially giving its energy or its essence to certain plants that grow more at night or bloom at night, like uh, nightshade flowers, I think they're called. Whatever it is, its impact is, is, is much larger than what's, uh, what would be, Obviously, um, it's it's highly connected to all of life on Earth. Absolutely influential, and so uh, what the reason what, where I was going with all of this, you said that it's been uh, I you get off of that system, real like if you're not seeing it every day, like uh, you can lose that or at least lose it in your like conscious awareness. Um, yeah, that's an interesting observation and. And like, you know, when, when that, when that void is, is gone or when that void is created because that connection is gone, like, you know, it's going to be filled with something. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cold blue screen of my computer. The cold blue screen of your computer. (laughs) Kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, I think that's what's happening on a larger level to most people, maybe I'm a sort of an outlier because I I'm aware of what's going on, but yeah, I think in the city, you're absolutely right. I mean, how many people even can see the stars in certain places now? Um, but the moon, even in a, even in the most light polluted place, you could still get a glimpse of the full moon. Uh, yeah. A glimpse. Light pollution can't put out, can't 
Are, are you, you think that light pollution could put out the view of the full moon? No. Maybe I'm not. No, I think I misspoke. Maybe, maybe smog is what I was thinking of, not light pollution. But. <sighs> wow. Right. I mean, if, if if somebody lived underneath like a, a slum and near factories and stuff, maybe there's a good chance that their sky is too obscured to see anything. But they can still walk out. I, uh, but it's I was true. just thinking like, um, <laughs> could smog be thick enough that you would, because the clouds, like I'm always amazed by clouds that can block out the full moon. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's only a few of them that seem to do that. Maybe those are the ones that are cloaking UFO ships. <laughs> right? I've thought the same thing. <laughs> well. And I cursed at them. So when are these engagement books going to be ready? Because I feel like uh, this is a useful tool for... Anybody, whether you have a mainstream sort of mundane job or a podcaster schedule or whatever your schedule is, you could connect to baseline reality using this engagement book. Um, hopefully sooner than later. Hmm. Uh, what, what I'm realizing, and I feel like, I feel like it should have come out much deep, much sooner, but it hasn't. Like I got the prototype a month ago, I suppose. And the edits that I have in it are, are, are kind of small. Like it's not like anything fundamentally changed, but um, I've been sitting on it. Like what I wanted to do and what I think is happening is it's really polishing up the fine details of, the, um, you know, instructions is, is a little, is not exact. The introduction, maybe the intro, the introduction and how I want to frame it up because it's, it's ultimately, um, it's a tool for consciousness, which has practical applications. Like it's a consciousness tool because it is freeing up an unconscious integration within with you. You are making an agreement with a cultural system that you probably don't recognize you're, 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 you're doing. Like I say this to anyone, like if you realize when, what, what is actually happening on a consciousness level of what you're agreeing to by like putting your future events on a calendar based upon a system, which is all about your control you probably be like, no, I'm going to pass on that. Um, so that's why it's a, it's a consciousness tool, but it's very practical because it allows you to still be like, like, as we said in this whole show about like finding that midline between, you know, the ideal of interacting with the system and moving off of it entirely um, and then still having to like interact with it for a multitude of reasons. Like, you know, this is a really good, it, it's, it's a tool which was designed exactly to fit that person. I designed it for myself. Hmm. The nomad. 
sorry. The Nomad. Cool. That's not. That's not bad. That is not a. That that is a good. Uh, that is a good suggestion to work in the main for. <laughs> like the Nomad's engagement book. So. So here's the other thing. I've been playing with this idea a lot. Like you've heard me talk about Nomad. Like no, it began with Gnome and then Nomad. Nomad um, Notepad. Uh, a little bit too kitschy, for that. <laughs> but it, it, it's. I see where you're going with that. Um, because Nomad also means happy. Right. 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 Well, you spell you're not it with mad. a G too, and you're in Gnome countryside. Right, so you've got all of this different sort of phonetic wordplay. And somebody named Nomad, G-N-O-M-A-D, just signed up for the Patreon today. There you go. <laughs> Look at that. That is, um, huh. Uh, that, is, um, that is definitely a uh, good way to think about or a good word to think about adding into the title. Now's the title show would do. Hmm. Well, either way, you could promote it as something and no, every nomad needs. I was just listening to a really interesting interview um, about vagabonding and there's a very famous vagabond named Ralph Potts. Do you know who that is? No, tell me about him. Oh, he wrote this really interesting book called, uh, you know, like the guide to vagabonding around the world and inspired uh, Tim Ferriss to kind of do the same thing. And now Tim Ferriss has a pretty big podcast. He's well known, um, but he has a similar approach to life and wrote a book called uh, The Four Hour Work Week, how to work a four hour work week and make more money than you ever have. <laughs> Um, so this kind of thinking, which is very much in alignment with, you know, a lot of the stuff you and I talk about, but yeah, no, Ralph Potts is a, is a professional vagabond. He's got no, I don't think he has a, um, home base. He just sort of floats around and does talks and has people on Rolf Potts, not Ralph, Rolf, R-O-L-F Potts. But, uh, Yeah. This could be a I will good, have to check him out. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's a good thing to have when you're traveling light, you know? I, I think so. I think so. I see someone just pulled up into the compound, and I have to ask them a question. So that would be a good time to wrap up, Mark. All right, cool. I wanted to ask you about uh, <laughs> what happens when you invite Susquehanna Alchemy to your party, but maybe we'll have to save that for next uh, next episode. We'll save that for next time. You write down in the notes because I'll answer that. Right on. All right, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. I'll talk to you real soon. See you, Mark. Bye.
i po odmówieniu krótkiej, ale treściwej modlitewki ogolić się należycie. Wszelako, jakże ogolę się, skoro nie mam nawet lusterka. Chyba, że zabiorę ze sobą przyrządę do golenia i udam się do domu naprzeciwko, gdzie jest winta zaopatrzona we wspaniałe zwierciadło. Niech żyje cywilizacja, panowie. Otóż znajduje się w wincie. Jedną rączną bandę się teraz golił, a drugą za pomocą stosownego guziczka przenosił moją powłokę cielesną z piętra na piętro. Yeah. 